Welcome to the Ponder Anew podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Mialis. And in this podcast, we ponder anew the ancient stories of Scripture and their meaning for our time and our place. And today we're going to finish up the first season where we looked at Nehemiah. And just like Nehemiah was called to rebuild in, in his time and his place, we've been called into a season of rebuilding. And we've learned from Nehemiah and also the whole book about how God is at work and God is encouraging us to rebuild. Today we're going to uh, learn about the introduction um, of the Bible to the ancient people of Israel and to think a little bit about how um, we can learn from and uh, how Scripture can be important for us in the rebuilding journey. And then lastly, a bit of a warning as well about Scripture and where it goes wrong for Nehemiah. But without further ado, let's get started rebuilding. Probably a little bit surprising, but we're going to finish all of Nehemiah in one swoop today. And what I want to focus on at first is Nehemiah chapter 8. For what happens here has huge implications for Judaism, for Christianity, and really the history of civilization in so many ways. So I want to read this, and this part will be a little bit more historical, and then we'll get into some more, okay, so what for us today. So chapter 8, they told the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law or the Torah of Moses, which God had given to Israel. Okay, let's just stop right there. The Torah, or sometimes called the law, refers to the first five books, uh, or really first five scrolls, what we in English call Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. For the first time in 150 years, people will hear uh, proclaimed their, their sacred stories from their own Jewish faith. It, it seems pretty clear that um, this, this wasn't happening in the same way nor really could have it. You see, the first five books of the Bible were deep in the oral tradition. And there were probably even parts of them that were written down. But before the exile, you didn't have a a codified uh, set of, of, this is the final version of the book of, of the scroll of Genesis. Really, at that time, what was holy was the Ark of the Covenant, which had the Ten Commandments, and where the sacrifices took place. That's what was sort of the the mystical center of Judaism. But that became a problem for the people during the exile. They could no longer have these sacrifices in Jerusalem. The ark was missing. So what becomes the glue that holds this ancient people together? Well, it's going to be the sacred stories of their ancestors, of Abraham and Sarah, 
Isaac, Jacob, Rachel, Leah, Rebecca, Miriam, Moses, the whole that whole thing that's going to become their their sacred their grounding point for them. So, couple, what does this what does this mean for us? Well, first of all, uh, it's fascinating that had we not had the exile, we likely don't have the written word. It was the exile that uh, forced this people who suddenly were in three population centers, who didn't have a cultic center in Jerusalem, to say, we've got to write down uh, our stories, who we are, who we are. So my, my first question um, for you is, what, is a t- what are the stories that form your family's identity? What are, the, what are the core stories that you've heard more than once that really shape a sense of, of who you are as an individual, but really who you are as a family? Again, for the ancient Jews at this point, it's going to become, the stories that are going to help them sort of identify who they are really become these stories of Genesis through Deuteronomy. Uh, but for you, I'm curious what in your own family and in your own life are the sort of the core sort of stories that shape your identity. And, and then the second thing, which is just in a different direction entirely, but is just nonetheless really fascinating. Had the exile never happened, as terrible as it was, getting you know, taken basically into 40 years of, of captivity, um, there would be no written word. And so I am curious in your life, when have you experience something that at the time seemed to have no potential good, but later on you were able to see the incredible benefits of that particular chapter of your life, that something out of it emerged out of what was otherwise a truly terrible time. Okay, so for now, those are the two things that I want uh, you to consider there. Uh, What are the stories that help sort of shape uh, your family's identity? And two, what are the times when something really awesome has come about from something really tragic? So we continue here. Accordingly, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly both men and women and all who could hear with understanding. This was the first day of the seventh month. And then he goes on, he says, The scribe Ezra, this is verse 4, stood on a wooden platform that had been made for the purpose. And beside him stood, and then a whole bunch of uh, ancient names. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and he opened it, and all the people stood up. Then it goes on, all, all these other people helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. So they read from the book, from the law of God, with interpretation. They gave the sense so the people could understand the reading. So what's happening now is is that they have, they've told us that we have people here who can understand. But the problem is that the ancient scrolls, uh, even in their codified form, are in Hebrew. And most of the people by this point no longer speak fluent Hebrew. They likely speak Aramaic, 
or even if they do speak Hebrew, it turns out that Scripture is in itself not always abundantly clear what it means and how to apply it to our lives. This here is an admission within Scripture that Scripture is in itself in need of teaching. Again, this is an admission within the Bible that the Bible itself demands teaching. It is not always self-explanatory. And, okay, I'm going to go historical, then I'll go sort of implications for us. What now is happening is that the role, the, the pubas, the powers in ancient Judaism were the priests, for they controlled the cultic sacrifices uh, upon which forgiveness depended. But now we're seeing the rise of a new role within Judaism, one who is a teacher, one who is an interpreter of the ancient stories, and then their interpretation, their relevance, their application for our lives today. This is the role then, what we would call the teacher or preacher. And what's fascinating is that uh, before this in the Old Testament, whenever you have priests or prophets, they may make a declaration. This is what God said to me in a dream. But at this point, um, that's not the role of the rabbi. The rabbi does not understand him or herself as the, the conduit who's getting new data from God. Rather, their job is to take the ancient and then teach what it means in our time and our place. This is the tradition out of which the preacher will come, and it is also the tradition out of which Jesus comes. Right? Jesus is referred to as rabbi. Jesus is the one whose job is to take these ancient stories and make them relevant for us today. And so my uh, question for you then is, who have been people in your life who have opened the scriptures to you? Who have been people in your life who have opened up the scriptures and helped you make sense of complex or ancient or even archaic or confusing passages? Uh, for whom have you been somebody who has opened, you've had to open up the scriptures or, or help somebody else understand scripture? I think this is uh, something that most parents didn't realize they were signing up for. <laughs> Our grandparents, right? The kids that come with their questions. But when have you been somebody who has uh, been somebody to interpret or help make sense of what the Bible means for our world today. Other question is, what about Scripture? What about Scripture needs interpretation for you? What are the hard parts where you kind of stumble and and get stymied and blocked? Again, I'm hoping at the the laugh for a sort of a summer podcast here, an intermediate one, just a special episode to take people's questions. So I'd be curious where, where does the, um, where where are you in need of interpretation as as you come to uh, to scripture? So first big development here historically is the development of the written word. The second big development here is the rise of the teacher or rabbi, not just the ancient priest. The, the third thing, though, is, and I, and I want to read a couple other parts of the scripture here. I want to go back to uh, verse uh, 6. 
All the people have stood up when Ezra's reading it. And then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. They bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They are saying here that the reading, the scripture itself and the reading of it is where God is present. Because otherwise they're just worshiping a book, and that is definitively a no-no in ancient Jewish monotheism. For them to be bowing means they're saying that the living Lord is present there. And in fact, then in verse 9, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribe, and all the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not weep or mourn. And in fact, what comes out of this will be a celebration, a grand old festival, a party, uh, called uh, Tabernacles or Booths, uh, that celebrates the reading of the law for the first time. In ancient uh, Judaism, and then in modern Judaism, but also in Christianity, uh, there becomes this celebration and this reverence around the Word and the reading of the Word. That study of Scripture, preaching, is, is an holy act. And even, and even just simply uh, the words on the page. Uh, ancient Jews, uh, and modern, uh, to faithfully transcribe on these scrolls, actually would count, knew the number of, of Hebrew words in each scroll, and they even knew the middle letter, so they could, the middle letter and the middle word, uh, so they could sort of, you know, go back and find out, you know, the, exactly to make sure that no data had been lost in the transcription of, of the, the scrolls. That's how holy was this idea of the word. So, uh, my question uh, for you is, um, what is, you can, this can be your family of origin, this can be your family now, um, how is the Bible holy to you? Would you describe yourself as uh, somebody who sort of, the, the Bible is really holy, but it's sort of holy on a shelf, like it's it's there and it's to be respected and revered, but almost in a way of like, it's so holy. Friends, like you would never underline in it to sort of add study notes. Like it's, it's just too precious in itself. Um, are you somebody who maybe at one point um, sort of lost a bit of holiness around the Bible? That it just, uh, it's sort of come down a few notches more towards like every other book. Um, uh, are you somebody who... Um, yeah, has sort of a very holy relationship with, with the Word, where you find that again and again uh, it becomes the living presence of God that is, is speaking uh, to you through it. So I'd just be curious, how is the Word of the Lord holy for, for you? Or is it not? So again, we have these three sort of historical developments here that greatly impact Judaism, but will then impact Christianity and its foundings and still continue to this day to shape how we think about uh, the ancient word and how we understand and apply it for today.
at the end of Nehemiah, they decide to read the scriptures. And it says, On that day they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. This is chapter 13. And it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God, because they did not meet the Israelites with bread and water, and hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. When the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. This is an example of using the Bible to justify, in this case, uh, ethnic separation in apartheid society. And it's really humbling, uh, first of all, to you know read about Nehemiah being a part of this, because Nehemiah seems in the first half of the book like just so such a, a good servant of the Lord. Why I bring this up is because I I think as, as a pastor, I want to encourage people to read the Bible. And I would even say that the Bible can and should always be a part of our rebuilding efforts. And perhaps there's, there's a question for you. How has, how has the Bible been or not been? How have the sacred stories of Scripture been or not been a part of this last year and your rebuilding? But it's a warning that we can really get the Bible wrong. Again, that we can really get it wrong. For, for them to pick out a verse um, about a thousand-year-old grievance and decide this is what God wanted them to focus on, uh, rather than the, the numerous stories, even in the first five books of the Bible, that uh, show God's love being greater than the tribe and, and show God's intention uh, that uh, people in the tribe of ancient Judaism were, were to bless and to care for other people. Like, it just, it just misses the boat so badly. And, and we too can miss the boat. And, and one of the things that I think really uh, happens here is that Nehemiah and the others are basically a fairly homogeneous group of people, and they're reading Scripture together. And it turns out if you read the Bible... Uh, with other people. This is better than doing it by yourself. But if you only read it with people who already have your own basic suppositions about life, your own cultural framework, you're very likely to get to a point in reading scripture where you're justifying yourself and your group to the exclusion of other people. This is how we're wired as humans. And if we just kind of let ourselves go, um, it turns out that we will quickly make the Bible into a tool of ours rather than really asking ourselves how might we conform to the Word of God. One of the blessings, and so I'll sort of try to maybe draw this all, all to a conclusion here. Uh, one of the blessings uh, about uh, the Christian tradition now is that we have 2,000 years of people all over the world in different times and different cultures, who have read Scripture, have written about it, have sung hymns, um, have made statements of faith. And, and I think one of the things we really are called to do at this point of this global village that we're in is, is to take some effort and try to hear and learn what people from other times and other cultures, what they have said about Scripture. Uh, and, and, and sometimes it's just in really subtle ways we never thought of. You know, like when Africans read the story of the prodigal son, 
they have lived through famine, many of them. And so when the sun has a famine, that means something different to them than it does for us in America or the West who have rarely ever uh, experienced famine in the same way. And, and I think that this, uh, it doesn't guarantee that we get it right, but when we really seek uh, not only to apply ourselves to the Word by ourselves with a group in, in our church, but really begin to say, what what is the broader church really brought to bear on this? I think that's really where we can um, find a real challenge and, and a far less likelihood to simply sort of pick and choose verses that uh, we're going to like or going to fit our, sadly in this case, our, our political agenda. So I leave season one um, that there are so many things we have learned with Nehemiah that seem so relevant for our time and our place. But perhaps the last is that, um, that the Bible can be relevant, but we have to always be careful that we're not just making it relevant to our own ends, but that we're really allowing ourselves to listen to what God is saying through the Word. And one of the best ways to do that is to not read the Bible alone, read it with others, and then especially if you can read it with people at different times and different places. And, and then we can, I think, get a much richer sense of who God is and who God is calling us to be here and now. Well, I have so thoroughly enjoyed uh, doing this podcast. I've learned a lot. I've been surprised how much I've learned uh, from Nehemiah. The Word is is faithful. I have appreciated the, uh, the, the questions that people have asked along the way. I'm still looking for more for next week as I sort of do a wrap-up on... on questions about the Bible, and I've enjoyed the conversations at the local pub, and uh, we'll figure out when season two will come out. But again, thank you for all of your time. My concluding prayer for us then is this. Dear God, thank you for the gift of pod technology that allows us to, to gather around your word here, there, and everywhere. We pray that in this time of such interconnectedness that we will not only dig ourselves deeper in your word, but we'll open our hearts and open our ears to how you're speaking through your word to people across the centuries, across the globe, that we might have a richer or more beautiful understanding of who you are and what your purposes for this world are and what your purposes are for our lives as we not only rebuild after the pandemic, but live on this life joyfully until we worship you eternally in the next. Amen.